Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 565 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 1st of August 2021 as I record this, I'm sure (laughs) you feel the same way, like how is it August already? Crazy. Anyway, in today's show I'm talking to Peleg Top about how to rediscover your creative free spirit, especially if you're feeling a bit burned out or a bit jaded uh, about the writing life. We also talk about how you can combine creativity and spirituality with money and ambition. These things are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, this is why I wanted to talk to Peleg. I know several of his very successful creative coaching clients who he's helped with this area. And uh, he's been on sabbatical for a while. So I also wanted to talk to him about that as I definitely struggle with taking any time off, let alone extended time off. So I'm excited to bring this interview to you today in the interview segment coming up. In publishing news. So interestingly, you can now add A plus content to your Amazon sales pages, so your book pages. And these are basically images or text and tables. And uh, you've probably seen these on traditionally published books in the section before the reviews, basically, if you scroll down and there's pictures and maybe videos and all of that. And the example is very well worth going and looking at the examples. And I've linked in the show notes, obviously. But the examples they give include listing your series in order, more visual images to bring the books alive, pictures about the author and more details about the topic. And uh, it makes the sales page into more like a a web page with with more content essentially and maybe that's the point they want people to stay on a page longer and i certainly see some applications for non-fiction in particular for example um, pictures of recipes if you do anything to do with cooking uh, or re- remember guy windsor who came on episode 554 recently who has books on sword fighting that seems to me a very obvious thing well of course put the pictures down in that section and you're kind of bringing the book alive very clearly or maybe a travel book or you know there are there are some books that would work very well with this I can't necessarily see the application for my books uh, as for fiction I don't even ever scroll down that far and for non you know my non-fiction about writing is kind of well (laughs) doesn't really need images (laughs) So I think it will depend on the genre you have or but it maybe if you're someone who really loves making images as well, I think that would help. But um, definitely beware a rabbit hole of things that might not impact sales. And again, I think it will be for very specific markets. But again, I like it when we get access to the same things that traditional publishers have. And this is another one of those things. Um, I still remember back when we weren't allowed to do pre-orders and uh, that was something we all wanted for ages. So stuff like this, it just means that there are fewer and fewer things that we can't do basically. So if you go to your marketing tab on the KDP dashboard, you'll find that this A plus content is a new section and it's available for 12 different markets marketplaces. So even if you want to do it, you you don't just do it once, you have to do it for every single marketplace. (laughs) Fun times. Also this week, Audible launched Premium Plus membership here in the UK. And this was a bit of a surprise. And I only really noticed this because uh, Jonathan and I are both members on Audible and we buy one credit per month. And in the in the past, our membership, which is £7.95, which is, I guess, about $9.99 uh, equivalent. And we've had the credit model for years. We've been listening to audiobooks for years and that's been fine. And then Jonathan came into my office like, have you seen this? I was just on Audible, my Audible app, and I've got this premium plus thing and I've got access to all this stuff. So we didn't even know we had it, but they've essentially rolled it out to anyone who already is on the credit model. So Audible Premium Plus now includes seven and a half thousand extra titles. And in fact, um, Lindsay Broker, Jonathan got offered Lindsay Broker's book. And I was like, okay, that's interesting because I know Lindsay licenses her audio to, I think, 
uh, well, one of the companies, one of the audio companies. So obviously some things are included in the Audible Plus catalogue. Um, our book, my books are not included. Uh, I've seen people who've done Audible deals. I saw Mark Dawson's book, books in there, uh, LJ Ross, who've done Audible Originals. So they're all kind of included as well. But it's very interesting. So this is not technically unlimited subscription because you can't get everything like you can on, say, Scribd or Storytel and probably Spotify at some point. But it's certainly a lot more for your money than you got last month. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, from a, a listener perspective, this is exactly where things are going. This subscription model is essentially completely normal now but from the author perspective I can see that this will be this will be another uh, I don't want to say nail in the coffin <laughs> but I've certainly been saying for years now that it's important to be wide with audio because the subscription model essentially makes it harder to make money because it's not the same as the the kind of the, the credit thing so yeah I mean I'm uh, the Audible Gate, the Hash Audible Gate saga continues as a dedicated group of authors is fighting for a fair deal for authors and narrators. You can find that at audiblegate.com. And there's an Audible Gate podcast, actually, if you want to listen to that. Um, but essentially, I, you know, I support that group. Absolutely. But I've never, well, I say I never, I was originally exclusive with Audible when it was the only choice. But as soon as I could, I've gone wide with Findaway, also selling audio direct through payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. Um, and that to me is the future of all of this. You know, the future for all of us is how some things are, well, we have things in the subscription model to bring people in. And then hopefully some people will become the thousand true fans and actually pay us more money. <laughs> Uh, to buy direct in order to support us and also to um, you know help us keep creating our art so yeah it is important to fight for for our rights and uh, you know so or the hash audible gate is absolutely correct but I also think you need to build multiple streams of income from your intellectual property and not rely on one channel for your income you've heard that enough times from me that is nothing new but certainly as a listener Jonathan's like oh look at this look at all that I get and I then went on the catalogue and downloaded um I just picked up a, a 10 hour audiobook on the Camino um uh, de Santiago one of the routes um the Via de la Plata and uh I'm listening to that and I didn't buy that on credit that's part of my Audible Plus so that's very very interesting you cannot stop this stuff happening <laughs> that's for sure and in futurist stuff this week, um, and talking of selling direct, actually, NFTs are building up steam as more creators use them for new products and new revenue streams. And this week, very excitingly, Shopify now allows you to sell NFTs. And this is very, very interesting. They say on their website, merchants and buyers shouldn't have to take a course in cryptocurrency to buy things they care about. You can buy NFTs with a credit or debit card, which essentially makes it mainstream because you don't even need to say is an NFT. It's just like, here you go. It's another product. You can buy it with your credit or debit card. And they say, we're opening up a world where fans feel meaningful connection to brands and where NFTs just increasingly become part of how we buy and sell online. This is really big. Shopify is obviously massive and the other big services are will no doubt move into NFTs. It's possible that Amazon could get into these within the next year. They're certainly looking at blockchain options and their own cryptocurrency um, or token. We're seeing tokenization with Kindle Vela, for example. So it's actually possible. I mean, we had the episode on NFTs a few weeks ago, but um, it could be that this is all completely normal within the next year. And again, things are moving very fast, uh, getting faster and faster. <laughs> It always gives you whiplash how fast things are moving at the moment. Uh, and in fact, talking about this, I want to recommend Jeanette Winterson's new book. It's called 12 Bytes, Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S. And uh, it's a series of essays on how artificial intelligence and robotics has developed and also where it's going, how we will merge with AI and includes transhumanism and a whole load of things. And if, if you don't know of Jeanette Winterson, she's multi-award winning, very um, sort of... Uh, 
I would say she, she's sort of literary fiction aristocracy here in the UK, perhaps best known for Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, which many of us studied for A-level English. I certainly did. So I've um, Jeanette's been sort of part of my reading life for, I guess, 30 years, <laughs> which is crazy. And she is a literary writer who is embracing AI and looking at these um, the various things that could happen. The book is aimed at non-technical people, so that's another reason I'm recommending it. It's very accessible, very intelligent, obviously. I mean, it makes... I was thinking, I'm thinking about a lot of things. It's full of literary illusions, so I know you'll enjoy it. it it's got questions. It's really aimed at making you think about these issues, and absolutely I recommend it. So that's 12 Bites by Jeanette Winterson out now. So in my personal update this week, thanks for all your kind words on my COVID recovery. The good news is that after two weeks, I'm almost back to full speed. I can smell and taste again, which is wonderful. <laughs> I like smelling things and tasting things. I smelled some lavender the other day and I was like, oh, wow, I can, if I can smell lavender, everything's coming back. Uh, and my brain is working for more than an hour a day, which is also fantastic. I'm out walking very, you know, slowly. I'm taking it slowly, uh, but definitely getting into things in fact, I even managed to finish the edits on my half of The Relaxed Author, which is now at Mark Leslie Lefebvre's house, <laughs> digital house, for his edits. And the book will be out on the 18th of September. I definitely, I'm, re- I'm really happy with it, actually. There's a lot of things in there that I've been learning and I know Mark's been learning and uh, just really trying to focus on making, on ease, I guess, on, on not easy, but ease relaxing around being an author and the long-term approach and all of that. So I think I think you'll find the interesting book. As I've recovered, I've also been thinking about a couple of things. Firstly, holding our goals loosely. We've all learned how much is out of our control in the last 18 months. <laughs> Haven't we now? <laughs> how we can really want to do something but be prevented by all kinds of things. And health is definitely one of those things. For about a week, which seemed like forever, I know it's not forever, but for about a week, I really couldn't do anything. And then the second week, I could really only do one thing a day because I didn't have any more physical energy or brain power. So I had to choose wisely what to focus on. So I had to, like last Monday, for example, well, in fact, doing last Monday's podcast, and in fact, several of you said you were surprised I even did it. I'm, this is part of my, this is my commitment. Not, not just to you. This is my commitment to my career. The podcast is so important to me. It's important in, it's as important as my books. I really feel that it reaches more people than my books, to be honest. And I am super committed to this as part of my life, but also my business. So I always choose the podcast. Um, but it took me, it took me about three days to do the podcast. <laughs> But um, then, of course, I'm committed to my Patreon and I did my Patreon Q&A. That was another day. And then important projects like the edits for the relaxed author. I was already about halfway through before I got COVID, (laughs) but then I managed to finish it. And the other thing I did was send out an email to my list last week, but everything else went out the window. So it really was, uh, you know, I cancelled everything. I cancelled all the interviews I had booked. Uh, I, you know, I, I cleared the decks essentially and just there's one thing a day. And it also reminded me that this is how it is for most people. And in fact, many of you listening, this will be the way you run your author life is that you have to choose one thing per day and sometimes not even every day. Uh, if you have kids, day jobs, um, those of you with ongoing health conditions, um, you know, most people I know most most of you right now will only have time for one thing a day. And that's also how it was when I had a day job. The first five years of being an author when I was an IT consultant, there really was only one thing per day I could do. And, you know, sort of three or four days a week, it was writing. I would choose writing. And then I also built this podcast. I built my website. I built my network. But slowly, 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 very, very slowly. And it certainly can be done. But in writing The Relaxed Author, it's so clear like from the survey we did Mark and I many people are 
not relaxed because there are so many things we could be doing. And uh, But if you have to go back to basics, if you have to say, I choose one thing today, then what one thing is the most important? And it will help you get some perspective. It's like, okay, so let's pretend I am sick or let's pretend I can only choose one thing. What is the most effective thing? And uh, to achieve my goals step by step, slowly, slowly and avoid overwhelm. So, yeah. Also this week on my books and travel podcast, uh, um, I interviewed Toby Neal about her latest memoir, Open Road, a midlife journey through the US national parks. Now, Toby is a really good friend of mine and we recorded it um, a couple of months ago now, actually. And we talk quite openly about midlife struggle. (laughs) I also talk about it. I am definitely in midlife right now going through all the usual things. And uh, we talk about how travel helps us move both physically and mentally. Movement across the face of the world also helps us mentally move our state forward and uh, much more. I know that you'll find it interesting. We talk about that on the Books and Travel podcast. Just search on your favourite app um, if you write memoir or you're interested in (laughs) our thoughts, (laughs) then uh, check that out. So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. As ever, Roz Morris is a very popular guest on the show and also lots of people still commenting on Sarah Santacroce. I think we've had a a back-to-back guest who've gone down very well, so I'm always pleased about that when you guys uh, resonate with the topics. Uh, Janine says, This has to be one of the best podcast episodes. I write junior fiction or middle grade and what Roz says about literary fiction is very relevant to that. I love what she says about curiosity and following what what you're interested in. And Tyler Harrell on YouTube says, writing is conjuring, quotes, uh, I love this quote from Roz. I also outline backwards, but it's usually with milestones. So I have a really fun scene and work to that as long as it doesn't ruin the rest of my rough outline. Thanks for another great interview. Jerry Windley Daust, I think that's how we... um, pronounce it says love the interview with Ros Morris went out and bought her book Ever Rest which is fantastic would love to hear more about marketing literary uh, literary fiction the conventional conventional wisdom is that it's unmarketable I'm really struggling with language sorry (laughs) but is it and this is a really so this was on Twitter thank you Jerry and I replied (laughs) well clearly you just bought the book Ros's literary fiction novel Ever Rest which is indeed fantastic you bought it based on listening to the podcast interview. <laughs> so clearly it is marketable through podcast interviews um, as a start. And I thought that was brilliant. And so clearly podcast interviews work. I know they do. I've had several guests say, in fact, Sarah Santacroce emailed me and said, thanks, you know, for the interview. And she's had a sales spike and downloads of her free marketing uh, one page thing. And Uh, after the show. And of course, I'm a huge advocate for content marketing as a sustainable long term sales method. And the last couple of interviews prove this, you know, people buy books based on podcast episodes. I'm sure some of you are going to go buy 12 bites from Jeanette Winterson, because I've just told you about it. This is how it works. It's, it's word of mouth on steroids, basically. That's how it is actually word of mouth <laughs> speaking. So I would, I mean, I am absolutely a believer in podcast episodes as marketing. So yeah, there you go. And finally, thanks to Kitty Bouchot, who sent some lovely pictures, said listening to Santa, Sarah Santa Croce, while I take a gentle run through the fields in Malmo in Sweden, loved the conversation and signed up for the marketing plan and bought her book. There's another example. And Kitty sent some lovely pictures. So yes, please send me your photos since can't we still can't travel much. I mean, technically we can travel and we're actually now looking at travel in September. Um, you know, now I'm recovering from COVID and double vaxxed and, um, you know, looking at traveling. Very, very excited about that. Uh, but I do love to see pictures of where you're listening from in the world. You can tweet me at the creative pen with a double N. Uh, you can put a comment on the show notes. You can email me joanna at the creative pen.com. Right, so today's show is sponsored by Draft Digital, and I'll play a word from Kevin Tumlinson in a minute. Just to say, I use personally use Draft Digital for publishing to Nook and library services, and I'm also using the payment splitting service for the ebook version of The Relaxed Author with Mark Leslie Lefave. So definitely an interesting option if you're co-writing or doing anthologies. 
This type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show and the extra in between episodes are sponsored by my patrons. Thanks to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, those of you who've been supporting for months and years, and to new sponsors this week, Valerie Miller, S.W. Miller, Elvira, Anne Minette and Karen Shapiro. And uh, I did manage to do the Q&A show last week. Thank you to everyone. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. And I know that some people don't want to contribute monthly. So you can now buy me a coffee if you'd rather at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the creative pen if you find the show useful. Right. Here's a word from draft digital and then we'll get into the interview. Hey, this is Kevin Thompson with draft digital and we love libraries. Everyone at draft digital first discovered a love for reading at their local library and chances are you did too. That's why we've put a big focus on building up library distribution for DDD authors with a catalog of library distributors that reaches thousands of public academic and business libraries all over the planet. Overdrive, Biblioteca, Baker and Taylor, Hoopla. We just keep adding new ways for you to reach library patrons everywhere. And we're including new ways to make some money with innovations such as cost per checkout, a royalty structure that lets libraries check out as many copies of your books as they need, helping you reach eager patrons and get paid as you go. Find out more about how draft digital works with libraries and you at drafttodigital.com slash library dash pricing. Pelek Top is an artist and a coach living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He serves the accomplished creative community with workshops and retreats, as well as his transformational course, 100 Days of Creative High Growth. So welcome to the show, Pelek. Thank you. Good to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you and several of uh, my close creative friends, are your clients. And so I'm, I'm very excited about today. Me too. Me too. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. Well, let's start sort of going back in time a bit. You had this incredibly yeah. successful career building one of LA's leading creative agencies, and and you served clients in the music and entertainment industry. For, you know, pretty pretty sexy stuff, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, what made you pivot from what many would consider the height of creative business success? Well, that that part of my life, it's an interesting story because. It wasn't anything that actually made me pivot, but it was really a an organic process that uh, came about. I was a creative professional from, gosh, right out of high school, and I became a in house designer, and then a freelancer, and then opened my own agency, and did that for twenty years. And in the beginning, it was just amazing because design was such a passion of mine, and. I just loved doing the work. And I was one of those odd creatives that had a passion for the business side and the marketing side as well. To me, that was a big part of the creative process as well. So it helped grow the business to the point of being becoming really successful. But somewhere along the line, after about 15 or so years of, uh, of, of working as a creative, I started getting burnt out. I started uh, feeling like, it's kind of like the same thing over and over again. And I didn't really feel as challenged anymore. And over time, I started caring less about the work. And I found myself in this place that now looking back, it was a bit of a spiritual crisis because my whole identity was so wrapped up around being a, a designer and running an agency that when that all of a sudden didn't satisfy me, satisfy my soul, you know, my, my reason for waking up in the morning, I felt lost. So the, the, the pivot really began when I started noticing that this isn't working for me anymore. I'm not really excited about this work anymore. And it became a process of, of shifting into something new, but it wasn't something that was so clear in the beginning as far as what I wanted to do. So to answer your question, the the pivot was a, a a process that started with a lot of fear and anxiety and and lack of clarity, but became uh, more of a uh, new path to walk on 
after I took the time to actually do the inner work that I needed to do to get back in touch with something inside of me that I'm excited about. Mm. Yeah, it, it uh, resonates with me a lot. And I think a lot of writers, you mentioned they're sort of burned out from doing the same thing over and over again. We see that this in the writing community with this need to create ev- ever more product <laughs> being yeah. books. Yeah. And, you know, what might start out as the book of your heart or the most the thing you really want to write and then once you've written that or once as you did you've created that design and it then it becomes more like work I guess and work is great we love work yeah <laughs> but um you mentioned there that the the process of discovery and not really knowing ha- where to go so how did you find where to go like because I feel like a lot of people would love to pivot but the process of doing that is you know, does it take years? Does it take all this deep and meaningful mm-hmm. work? Or like, mm-hmm. I know like, you, you enrolled in chef school, right? You did some practical things. That was part of the part of the journey. And in, in the beginning, I really honestly didn't know what I wanted to do next. <clears throat> and what I didn't realize was that I was looking for answers outside of myself. And the answers were really inside of myself, but I didn't really have access to that part of myself at the time. A lot of that was a result of years and decades of doing creative work for other people, right? So being a designer, being an agency, um, we create beautiful work, we create beautiful art, but the purpose of it is it's commercial, ultimately. It's to satisfy a client, it's to solve somebody else's problem. And in the beginning of that journey, it was uh, it's very exciting because I get to make art and I get to design and I get to solve problems. But after a while, I'm realized I realized that I really wasn't expressing myself as an artist. I was only expressing part of me through the artistry that I've learned to master. But my inner artist, my soul artist, was not really active in my life and. Before I could really go into any other type of path in my life, I needed to really get in touch with my creative core, with my creativity. And I always believe that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I was mm. definitely ready. And that's kind of how my, my life evolved over ever since I've known myself. The right teachers always showed up. And I've learned to notice, to pay attention when when a teacher shows up on my path that is speaking directly to the thing that resonates inside of me, deep inside of me. And at the time, um, there was a teacher that showed up that basically asked me a very simple question. And, he's, and he said, where in your life do you experience your creative free spirit? And I I couldn't answer that question at the time. And he sent me home. He said, okay, go do some homework, come back next time and uh, to our next session and bring me a list of where in in your life do you experience creative free spirit? And I went home and I did my homework. And the first thing on that list was, well, I experienced my creative free spirit in the kitchen. I love to cook. I, I love to play in the kitchen. It's always been fun for me. So he actually challenged me and he said, okay, well, I want you to find a way for you to experience cooking in a kitchen on a more regular basis that will start waking up that creative free spirit in you. Now, being the overachiever that I am, <laughs> that I used to be, I'm, I'm trying to work on that more and more. Um, rather than taking like a weekend class, I decided to enroll in culinary school and go full time for a whole year into this intense program that was um, really transformational. And after a while, I realized cooking school was really not about cooking. It was more of a personal growth experience because my intentions weren't really to become a chef, but I've, I've mastered more skills in the kitchen now, but it gave me the chance to play. And when I finished school and I came back, my agency was running at the time. I had an amazing staff that ran the show without me. All I did was come in and do client pitches or sign payroll checks But after I finished school and I came back to work again, I just knew that I need to, I need to stop. I need to end this. I need to to really cut the cord, which is not an easy thing to do because as an agency owner, I had a lot of responsibilities and people were were counting on on their livelihoods, was counting on, on the business. 
So it was, it was a huge risk and there was a huge unknown in front of me. But the, the dark space that I've experienced in not being creatively satisfied was too big at that point. And I realized that if I stay in that space, it's just going to kill me. It's just going to completely diminish my soul. Mm. So it was, it was one of those moments, one of those lifetime moments where I had to sit my stuff down one day and just say, guys, I think I'm done. And they looked at me and they said, done, done with what? And I said, well, done with, with all of this, with, with this agency, with running this, I'm just, I'm just done. And to my surprise, actually, my, my longest term employee at the time, who was one of my uh, senior designers, she looked at me and she said, good for you. And that was, I, I didn't really expect that to, to, to come back from the staff, but they were so supportive and loving. And over a course of the next four months, we've basically closed shop. And I ended up actually selling the shop to my employees and moved on. But it wasn't an easy decision, but it was easier to get to that decision because I've experienced what it was like to be in that space of creative free spirit. I began to experience that excitement of creativity in me, in my body. And I realized I, I, where I used to be, that there's no room for that anymore. I need to expand and I need to move forward and I just need to take a risk and trust. And I think that's one of the things that we, we have the most trouble with is trusting that everything's going to work out, that we'll be okay. <laughs> that's <laughs> the biggest thing that we deal with. And to me, that's a spiritual issue. You know, the, the, what do I get to, what do I trust in, in order for me to take make a decision that can really change the course of my, of my life? What do I have to hold on to? And before I started doing all, all that inner work, I, I didn't really have anything to hold on to at the time. I didn't really believe in myself. I, as, as much, you know, I believed in myself as a designer because I had the track record and I had the success and the notoriety and the money that I made from that. But anything else, I had no idea. I had no experience. Of course, all the fears come up, the fear of failure and the fear of being judged or the fear of being rejected. They all play a role in all of that. So I needed to overcome all of that and really hang on to something bigger that can pull me forward. Mm. And, and that was really my creativity. My creative free spirit is what helped me move forward. And when I tap in into that space, I know that, that I'm okay, that, that, that things will work out because I have this creativity inside of me that, that can really figure anything out. And, and I think this is what I find a lot with, with my students and clients that I coach is that oftentimes the, all the answers, all the things that you want are already inside of you. But if your creative free spirit, if your true creativity is really not activated, if your soul artist is not a, a, a part of your life in a way that is active, well, that opens up a space for the inner critic to come out and all the fears to come out and the self-judgment and that keeps us stuck. So mm. yeah, the work really, yeah. Mm, I, I think the interesting thing about facing the fear, I mean, I, I used to be an IT consultant back in the day. And when I left that job, I went from a six-figure income and uh, to the bottom of a the bottom of another ladder, you know, uh, yeah. and I was at the top of one ladder and I was down the bottom. And yes, I we downsized and I saved some money. So I had some protection of the risk of, of financial issues. But the I remember that first year and it's on my blog still, uh, the self-esteem drop was huge from yeah. going from the top of one ladder to the bottom of another and going, I want to become an author, but I have to learn all this stuff. I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I've got yeah. no money. Money, really and everyone thinks no one even knows who I am anymore I used people used to know who I am and they don't and I feel like that loss of self-esteem like you mentioned fear of judgment I actually think that it's maybe part of that because it's like what will people think of me I'm, they must think I'm a flake or whatever so yeah. how how do we I guess with these fears are, will happen they will happen and the, the loss of self-esteem will happen but yeah. how do we and, and if people aren't confident in where they're going how do you face those things to make these changes mm, that's a great question fears will come up they're part of our makeup the question is not so much how do we face the fear 
the question is, what tools do we have in our toolbox to be able to tame the fear, to dance with the fear, to not let the fear be the consultant that we're listening to? And because so much of us are, you know, we live in a fear-based culture. There's, you turn on the news and there's fear coming at us every day. I mean, especially these days with mm. living in a world, a pandemic world. I mean, fear is a serious thing. But there's another side to fear. That side is love. And if we don't cultivate that side inside of us and connect to that love inside of us through different tools and different processes and techniques, when fear comes up, it, it it, it could seem like this huge dragon that we have no idea how to face. But if we have the right tools and the right practices, when fear shows up, it, it's something that becomes part of the process. It doesn't stop us. It's there. We know how to manage it. We know how to tame, tame that dragon, but we keep moving forward. That making sense mm. yeah and it's interesting because you, you mentioned love and I feel like you, you almost talked about that before with the creative free spirit and, you know a lot of people listening you know we're, this is a creative show a lot of creatives yeah. listening but many people feel that they love their creativity but they don't know how to take that to the yeah. next level I guess and you coach a lot of who you call accomplished creatives I guess mature creatives people who've been yeah. doing this for a while and right. so uh, I guess that I feel like maybe I'm one of those people <laughs> I've been yeah, doing this for a while probably now. are yeah <laughs> you know and it's how do we even when we've been doing an established creative role for a while how do we take that to the next level so, so tap into that creative free spirit even when we're doing the thing that we yeah. love but we yeah. want to make it even better I guess yeah that's a great question and the way that we that we that I found to tap into that is through art you know traditional art when clients knock on my door accomplished creatives who have had amazing careers and achieved a lot. And they're also feeling a little stagnant and a little bored. And they're in that crossroad looking for what's next, or even looking to take their, their current work to a new place. The thing that I always like to look at is how are you expressing yourself creatively from your soul, not from your head, but from your heart right? Where, where do you get an opportunity in your life? How much do you give that voice, that authentic voice of yours, room to play? And oftentimes, the answer is nowhere. That, that, that part of us as creatives oftentimes gets forgotten. You know, it's that part of us that we met when we were kids, when we were given a box of crayon and said, hey, go, go draw something, right? We left that part of ourselves behind. And became creative, professional creatives, and learned how to merge our creativity and our artistry with the commercial part of art, right? Whether we're writing or whether we're um, designing or whatever it is that we're doing, when we get financial risk attached to that, right, it becomes a different way of expressing our artistry in the world. So my, my advice to anybody who's listening to this right now is that if you do feel a little stagnant or if you do feel that you're a little stuck or you do feel like you're in this space of in between something, go back to art, go back to creativity at a very basic raw level, create for the sake of creation not for the sake of meeting a deadline or for publishing a book or earning money. Uh, maybe don't even write for that creativity part. Do something else. Go take a cooking class, you know, go take a <laughs> go take an art course. Go, you know, do something else that wakes up that creative juju in you that can begin to feed other areas in your life. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I I I feel like we all have a default creative mode. And uh, you obviously you're a visual a visual artist primarily, although you write as well. I'm, I'm on your email mm -hmm. list, and you write some great emails. 
Thank you. <laughs> and uh, obviously you have books as well from that design life. Yeah. But it's interesting. So I I really feel like I'm primarily a writer, but even and but for my I guess my from my soul when you were talking there when from my soul and what is not monetized mm. is my mm -hmm. my books and travel podcast I was just telling you about it before we press record and yeah. that is that podcast for me and I mean it's been so hard with the pandemic not being able to go anywhere and I feel my creative well is empty for writing yeah. fiction because I write from my travels and I love doing that podcast you know I loved talking to people about different places in the world and it's really just not monetized and it's so funny because I'll talk to business friends and they'll be like oh you should you should really give that up it's not doing anything for you it's not part of the business really and I'm like um no I really love it so I yeah, guess it brings it's you joy of it yeah it does Absolutely. it really brings me joy yeah right Right. And at the mm. same time, there's still commitments around it that you have. There's still, uh, it is a bit a business in a way you're, you're channeling your creativity in this way and it's beautiful and it's blessed and you're contributing to the world in a beautiful way. I would challenge you. I would challenge you to find a, a, a different avenue of creative expression that doesn't have anything attached to it, that you're really expressing between you and you it's not something that is uh, created for the sake of an audience or um, that has some kind of a, a particular outcome that you have in mind but just to experience the joy of creating for you and i think it's a wonderful thing to try different artistic modalities even though you think to yourself well i'm not a painter or i'm not an artist or i'm not a I'm not a photographer uh, well, oh, we do take who. photos. <laughs> Does <Right>. that count? <laughs> <laughs> it counts if it's if you're taking a photo coming from a place of self-expression rather than just capturing moments because they're pretty, you know. So mm. it's okay. the approach. Yeah. It's it's how you show up inside of that of that work, right? Now yeah. it could also sometimes it could be a different modality of writing for you. Perhaps you're a novelist and you've never tried poetry before. Well. Try that. Try different different ways that can activate and wake up that part of you that can inform other areas in your life. Yeah, I like I like the idea of creative free spirit. And I, I guess we have to just acknowledge how we're feeling. Like there's definitely a a feeling, an emotional feeling, and a yes. you mentioned excitement and play. I definitely struggle with play. I'm a very serious person. <laughs> and, oh yeah. Um, you know, even oh, yeah. going for a walk, you know, I have to walk an ultra marathon. But hey, you mentioned being an overachiever. So yeah, I'm a bit uh -huh. like, it's like I'm going for a walk. It has to be at 56 kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, you yep. know, but I, I like that feeling of excitement, creative free spirit. So yeah, challenge people listening, how much of that is in our writing life. And so often we do get obsessed with the business side, but we have to come back to that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and really, we want to tap into that part of ourselves because deep down inside, before we became writers, before we became designers, novelists, whatever, whatever hat we're wearing that is our identity in the world, our profession, right? Underneath all of that, we are artists, and we oftentimes forget that. And artistry is not confined to one practice. We want to be able to tap into that part of ourselves through different avenues and different channels. And if we get stuck on just one, one avenue, whether it's writing, designing, photography, whatever it is that we're familiar with and comfortable with and by now have an experience in, we limit ourselves. We limit what's possible for us as artists. So I'm hoping that whoever's listening to this right now to remind you that you are an artist first. And before you became a writer, you're an artist first. And I would encourage you to meet that artist again. Yeah, I think that's so right. It's interesting because you have this spiritual, artistic way about you, which is so important. But equally, you coach creatives around business. And as you mentioned, you consider business and marketing and, and money part of the creative process. And that's, you know, what attracts me to your work really is that you also help people with money. And a lot of authors mm -hmm 
have negative thoughts and blocks around money. So what are some of the common issues that come up around money and how can we address those while at the same time acknowledging our artist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, money is an issue for almost every every person I've ever worked with. Most creatives that I've known have a basic belief system around money that there's not going to be enough. The money's going to run out that. And if we go even deeper than that, there's belief systems around money that directly relate to our own self-worth and value. They go hand in hand. And oftentimes when I coach people, business owners, the the business and the money issues that they're having with their business are oftentimes spiritual issues in disguise, things that they're not looking at inside of themselves as far as what their relationship to money is and what their relationship to their own self-worth. Because again, they go hand in hand. So it is a process of healing something inside of us that helps us feel uh, more worthy, that helps us f- see and and sense our own value in the world that money doesn't become oxygen, but it more becomes a, 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 we learn how to to make money become a tool for our growth. There's a lot of fears around money that, that we walk around with. And a lot of the times those fears are fears that we inherit from our family of origin. We inherit from our culture and in a way to, to really overcome a lot of those fears, we have to learn how to, detach from those old stories and old beliefs that uh, are not generally ours, but we, we've made it up. We made those beliefs ours over the years because that's all we were exposed to. So a lot of the work that I do with people around money is starting to help them really shift their relationship with it and detach themselves from the stories that they've inherited you know, one of the first steps that I always ask people to do when when we begin this conversation around money is I ask them to go away and write their money biography. Go write your money story. Like from the first moment that you remember money coming into your life, write that down and begin to write that that story of money as a character in your life. And it's that it's by itself is such a, a healing process because by the end of that assignment things become very clear that, oh my gosh, the way that I am with money, this is so not who I am. This is so, this is such a relationship that I've developed that has been completely influenced by external factors. And that is really a great place to start shifting and and building a new set of beliefs and values around money that are healthy, that are actually attached to who I am and who I really believe in, not what I think I should believe in around money. So do you think that given, you know, talking about the creative free spirit, obviously you can make money from your art, but do you think the process of making primary income from art is a problem over time? As in, is it inevitable that if your art becomes your income stream that you will then want to change that and find different kinds of art? There's always the danger of that. And if I could turn the, the turn back time and go back to the time when I was in you know, thriving as a designer and, and um, doing all this great work for clients... If I could give that version of myself advice, I would say to him, keep your creative free spirit alive. Don't just put all your eggs, all your creative um, eggs in one basket. Keep that creative free spirit alive with other artistic experiences in your life that have nothing to do with the art that you're doing for commerce. Because otherwise, you're going to lose that part of yourself. And that the art you do for commerce is going to start becoming a little stagnant, a little boring, a little of the same. And, and that just that is just the path to becoming burnt out eventually. So mm. I think it's, in my opinion, crucial to keep that creative free spirit alive. And it's, it's different for everybody depending on who they are. 
I teach people how to connect to that creative free spirit and how to wake it up and get it going. But from that place, wow, <laughs> there's so much that they can uh, experience and so many uh, modalities that they can uh, bring into their lives to keep that creative free spirit alive. And I see it as a practice. I see it as an important spiritual practice for us as artists that are selling their art. If uh, the art becomes our, our source of income, right? That we, that we still have that connection to our soul artist in a way that, that keeps us alive, that keeps us excited, that keeps us in the space of, of wonder so that the work that we're doing commercially the art that we're creating commercially is fed by a different type of energy in us. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Definitely. And then I just wanted to come back on the money stories because one of my money stories, I was brought up by a single mom and, uh, you know, very independent woman. And so I was brought up being independent financial woman and I have always done that. But the, the story that definitely affects me very much is you have to work very hard for every single pound that you earn and your money is related to the hours you work and the time that you work so when you you have recently taken a sabbatical and what was funny is we were going to have this conversation months ago and then I emailed you and you were like yeah I'm I need more time on my sabbatical I'm I'm staying away for longer and I'm like whoa how does he do that so I'm really interested about how you knew that you needed this extended time away and what it really meant for you? There's a lot of questions in that question. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me address the money part of it because that's a question that I hear often. How can you afford to take six months off? You know, or a few years ago, I took two years off from work and traveled traveled the world on a sabbatical, a travel sabbatical. And, And at the time when I did that, I mean, that, those two years cost me about $150,000 in travel costs. And I did not have $150,000 in travel costs to spend when I started my journey. I had about 50 and I thought, okay, let's see how long it lasts. Um, I'll, I'll finish this, this experience when the money runs out. Well, the money ran out after about eight months and I wasn't done. I wasn't done traveling. I just felt like there's still more that I need to experience out there in the world. And I was going through a whole other, you know, personal issues that were being looked at and healed at the same time. But I'm telling you this because what I've learned about money is that money and creativity go hand in hand. And it wasn't until I was 43 years old, I became financially free at 43. And it was a goal that I had set to myself since the day, since I started working, I want to become financially free by 43. It rhymed. It sounded good. It was sexy. I thought, yeah, I'm going to put that out there as something I want to achieve. And I turned 42 and I did not at all feel like I was financially free. And right about at that same time, uh, another teacher showed up and that clearly had some insights around money that um, I wasn't really exposed to. And what I learned from this teacher in particular was that money and creativity go hand in hand together, that money is not oxygen. Like if I want money, I can go and create money. But I never really, never actually connected the dots that, that if I want to create money, really what I need to tap into is my creativity. And if I take my creativity and add a way of serving people to that, money happens. So, and, and that's really how I started experiencing my life from that point is this, this flow, this ease, this sense of abundance that there's always money there. All I just need to do is just turn on my creativity and channel it in a way that creates money. So when it was time to continue my sabbatical and continue traveling and I realized, okay, I'm, I'm going to live on my credit card for about a year now and I'm going to rack up uh, a debt and and that's okay because I know that I have the a, a well of creativity so that when I'm back on the other side of my time off all I have to do is just tap into that creativity and create money again that's exactly kind of what happened so money is not has stopped becoming oxygen for me and I stopped attaching money to my own worth and time. In other words, I don't work for money. In other words, I don't sell my time for money, or I don't feel like 
I'm earning money. See, I'm earning money is a is a is a concept that I've really deleted out of my vocabulary because as soon as I say earn, my own self worth gets attached to that as well. My own value gets attached to that. So if I'm not earning money, well, that opens up a space for my for self judgment, for fear, for for all of that. So. I would encourage you to stop thinking about earning money and begin to think about creating money. And as artists, as creators, if we really get in touch with that part of ourselves, and if that muscle is really strong and active, not only in what we do for a living, not only, let's say, in the writing that I do for my work or in the designing that I do for my work, if I'm truly creative in my life, I bring that creativity to every aspect of my life, including money. I bring that creativity to my relationships. I bring that creativity to the way I communicate. It bring it's just it's endless applications of my creativity. But we have to tap into it first. We have to keep it alive. That's to me. That's the most important spiritual practice that that I engage in is keeping my creativity alive. And so that sabbatical was a decision to, I guess, take take a step back from from the serving other people part and go back to serving your just your creativity for a period that was part of it this recent one that i just took it was the intention was to take three months off and then uh, go back into work and uh we're going back to that overachiever part of uh, who we are right (laughs) i I finished my client commitments for the year and all of a sudden i had this three months so what guess what i did in those three months i filled them up with projects you know i'm gonna (laughs) you know, remodel this part of the house and I'm going to take this marketing course that I've been meaning to take. And I've, I really didn't put too much time into my own creativity because I wanted to accomplish on these things while I'm having this time off. And two months into the sabbatical, I kind of hit a wall and realized, wait a minute, I'm, this is not rest. This is, I'm not really feeling like I'm getting back into my, my artistry again. So I need to extend this time. And I basically just said, okay, I'm giving myself permission to extend my my sabbatical from three months to to six months and go into a more quiet space, a space where there's really no commitments on the calendar to, to, to nothing. I wanted to have to see what it would be like to actually live without a calendar, <laughs> you know, without appointments. I remember just thinking it in the beginning, give me anxiety because I'm so dependent on my, my calendar and my schedule and for so many different parts of my life. But to walk into that space of plan nothing and just live my days and listen to my creative free spirit as far as what it is that I want to create every day, I, I really miss that spot, I, that space. In a way, I got so involved in the work that I did the year before that I've I've neglected that part of myself and it got a little stagnant. So I really took the time to you know, dive back in into that space and, and wake, wake that part up. And in, in that process of waking that part up, you know, new ideas come, new, new excitements come that I couldn't wait to bring back into my life on the other side of the break. Mm, you've really encouraged me and I definitely I'm planning on two months but I, I wonder if I'll have the <laughs> the strength like you did to to extend well, it let, but yeah let me tell you it wasn't easy I don't want you to think that this was easy it, it was a really challenging time in the beginning because I didn't realize how how addicted I was to doing and to yeah, planning my really- days and and having this the structure that I that I was so um, uh, used to it was a bit of a, a detox period in the beginning and I needed support. I, I'm be honest with you. I, I, I had to call my spiritual director and my coach and a couple of good friends to help me process the, what was going on because I wasn't, you know, doing so much. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? As you say, looking at your worth as a human being, when you take away all the stuff you do, it's it, that is a challenge. But we're running out of time, and I want us to talk about your transformational coaching program for creatives called One Hundred Days of Creative High Growth, which uh, is not a sabbatical; <laughs> it's a hundred days. So, tell us yes. a bit about what that is and who it's for. Well, I wanted to create an experience where where I could really teach everything that I've learned over the past 15 or 20 years of coaching people and all the things, all the tools that I've gained along the way 
of healing myself and supporting myself in um, inside of a process that a person can go through and really shift and transform their life, transform the the inner map of who they are as an artist and heal some of the things that are standing in their way. I've done the work with people and sometimes it can take years, you know, especially if I'm meeting a client every two weeks or even, even on a weekly basis, it's a slow process. But this idea, and the idea came to me really coming out of my two-year sabbatical of what if there was a process that was really, really intense. Like we really shake the person up in a way that, that completely rewires who they are and how they see themselves and teach them how to become this extraordinary artist, extraordinary creative who creates their life. So I created this course. It was a completely <laughs> crazy idea, but the course is a hundred days and long. And what, what it, what it actually entails is 100 sessions with me in 100 days. It's, it's run as a cohort. Um, we go on a journey together for 100 days. It's, it takes a big part of my life during that time, the commitment to be with people at that time. And uh, during those, during that course, you uh, you spend time in self inquiry, deep self inquiry that I guide you through. In addition to activating your creative free spirit through art, so we make art every day. We go back to taking you back to when you were a kid making art, and we we help you get in touch with that innocent part of making art. But what happens along the way is that your inner critic is going to come up and it's going to really try to run the show. And the process becomes a process of learning to tame that inner critic while you're inside of this work. It's, uh, it's been a really amazing process to watch people transform through the simple act of self-inquiry and creative self, radical creative self-expression. And when we do something to that intensity 100 days in a row, you can't help by, sh- by but shift, but change. Something opens up in us that I'm just amazed watching and witnessing creatives completely bring some, emerging something new out of them that they've never seen before. It's intense. And it's become my life's work now leading this process for people. And, and yeah, it's... Uh, mm. It's no, it hopefully sounds, it sounds hope, fascinating. Hope. <laughs> and obviously it's not for everyone, but uh, tell not, people no. where they can find the course and where they can find you in case they are interested in finding out more. The easiest way to find me is on my website, pelectop.com. There's information about my courses and my, my this course and the retreats that I lead. I'm also on Instagram at Pelectop. Um, not that much active on it, but um, I do have a small community that uh, I love to connect to with of, of, over there. Sign up to my, my newsletter will be the best way to begin to, to get a sense of what it is I'm trying to teach people around, around creativity and around living from a place of, of uh, creative free spirit. And then because you do a cohort, is there a particular time frame uh, for this particular run of the course that people need to sign up by? Yeah, the, the, co- the program runs twice a year. I run it in the fall and in the spring. The next one, uh, the fall ones, will start September 3rd, 2021. Uh, the enrollment for the course will open in uh, August. There is an application process. Like I said, it's not for everyone. It's a Probably one of the biggest commitments that you will make for yourself. I had one one student uh, at the end of the last cohort said to me, "You know, my my whole life I thought I I, I was dreamt about uh, walking the Camino, which I I know you did. <laughs> no, I'm doing um, it. <laughs> oh, you're doing you're okay. I wasn't sure if you did it or not. They said uh, I, my whole life I wanted to walk the Camino, and I and I know that's probably not going to happen, but I feel like this is the equivalent equivalent on that." as far as the inner work that I'm going to be doing. And, and it's kind of like that. Yeah, it's, it takes a lot to prepare, but it is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. And it's an extraordinary experience if you're willing to really surrender to what will come up for you. Mm, fantastic. Well, look, I really enjoyed talking to you, Peleg. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It's been great, great being here. 
So I hope you found the interview with Peleg interesting. And as we mentioned, his intensive course is not for everyone, but his email newsletters are always thought provoking and definitely worth checking out. I'm also not an affiliate for his course, so I don't want you to think that I am just a fan of his approach that combines creativity, spirituality and the business side of money. And it's, it is rare to find people who really nail all of those sides. And also, I mean, you get the sense in this episode and what I've been talking about, I'm slowly pivoting into new things, writing different things and different books that take a lot more time than I expect. I can't just, you know, my shadow book, my travel memoir. These are things that (laughs) really take a lot more time than my usual how-to type books. Uh, And in 2022, I have booked for uh, to walk the Camino de Santiago and I will be taking basically two months off. That's the plan. And I see that as a kind of reset. Although we never know what will come, we can only open ourselves up to change through experience. Uh, So I really, yeah, I hope it helped you. And I actually written in my journal something Peleg said. He said, stop thinking about earning money and begin to think about creating money. And that is very interesting for someone like me who still equates hours worked with income received. So definitely something uh, I'm working on and I hope you found some insights from the episode. Feel free to leave a comment on the show uh, or tweet me at The Creative Pen and uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Coming later this week, I have an in-between episode on bringing old world publishing skills to new world creators with John Bond from White Fox. Now, I get a lot of people asking how to find a good author services company that can help them with the whole process. So we talk about that, as well as how publishing has changed in the last decade, why we still crave the beauty of a physical book, and how crowdfunding short print runs is one way to do that alongside digital publishing. And on next Monday's show, I'm talking to Karen Inglis about lessons learned from a decade of self-publishing and marketing children's books. Although many of Karen's tips are valuable, whatever genre you write. So happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.